for me to change my life. You know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I'm going to try to do what is right. I try to get to see my kids. Probably not focus so much on money and more on family and the time being spent with family and friends. I would do everything that I haven't done yet that I want to do. Just try to bring as many people as close to God as possible before I go. What would I stop doing? Um... But I really want to slow down on that eating because I eat too much, you know. If I can slow down on that, that'll be good. I would stop wasting time. What would I say to others? I would uh, grab my Bible off the shelf over there and hand it to him and be like, there's your, uh, there's your manual. To try to be right. To try to be right, because this is not us home, man. We're on the path and do that. I just make sure I tell everybody every day I love them. How do you make your days really count? That's, that's the, uh, I think that's the struggle I have on a daily basis, whether I got 30 days to live or not. Enjoy life and know why you're here. Um because we all have a purpose in being here, so. All right, that's the question that I want you to be thinking about and be answering, be contemplating, be massaging it, be working it through in your life. This week especially, but throughout this series, what would you do differently if you knew you only had 30 days to live? All right, as you're sitting there thinking about what that, that would be, what that would look like, feel like, I want you to be thinking about it and even tweet it to us, all right, if that's even a, a verb or a way you do things that, out there. But tweet out there if you're a, twi- a Twitter, 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 whatever that is, uh, then, then please let us know what that is. We even have a hash mark 1MTL, and we're going to collect those, and next week we're going to share some of those with you as people sort through this. Now, this is not just in a vacuum. This, this is an entire study that we're going through completely in our church. Our student ministry kicked it off this past week, and so we're going through it. Our body life groups are going to be going through it. It is a total saturation of our church dealing with this question. But I have today, I have a couple of trees. I, I think God loves trees personally. And I don't think he's a tree hugger like some people may be in, in our day and age where you can't cut down a tree like God is in the tree. I'm not saying that. But I have to think that he likes trees. Just looking at the bookends of the Bible, what does he do? But He puts Adam and Eve in a garden with trees. He tells them to eat from the trees. He says any tree you want to eat from, you can eat from except one tree. Don't eat from that one tree. So God loves trees. He's using trees and even in the beginning in a perfect world, he brings trees into the equation. Now in that thinking of that one tree, uh, why didn't he pick a bush? Why didn't he pick an animal? Why didn't he pick something from the ground? But he he picked a tree to say, that tree, don't eat from it. If you eat from it, then you will surely die. That's, that's where the, the, the tragedy comes in because the selfishness of, uh, of us somehow crept in in its way. And when God gives us everything except for one thing, and then we go for the one thing that he says don't, 
go forth. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. And you know the story. We're not here to talk about Adam and Eve. But the beauty of that is, is, is that God uses the tree. And kind of this being that, that beginning of time, that beginning of life, is signified in the tree. If you go on forward through the Bible and you go to the book of Revelation, you again find the tree as a part of the equation, as a part of the metaphors, as a part of the word picture of God. Whenever he's speaking to the churches in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, he says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the churches were the believers, all right? So if you're a believer today, you're a follower of Christ today, you've been born again today, then this applies to you. Now, listen to what he said. He says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. So you have trees from the beginning of time to the end of time. You find the tree metaphor bubbling up throughout it. What happens in the middle between the trees is called life. Your life begins, and before your life began, realize that as this stage goes on, so there was, there was existence, there was a reality before Adam and Eve and before you and I. There's a reality that is, that is infinite. God is infinite. He didn't begin with Adam and Eve and he just bubble up from the earth or anything like that. He's always existed. Now, the beauty of life that we're living in and life that one day will end, but life continues on. And just as this tree stops here, life continues on. So when you think about your life, my life, we must see it on a larger scale if we're to fully embrace it, fully understand it, fully unpack it, and fully live it, and that we are living in between the trees. We are living in time, and we are living in space, and as we live here, it's not the beginning of things, neither is it the end of things. It's the continuation of things that will happen well beyond this life. Life happens between these trees. Good life and bad life happens between the trees. Last year, in a two-month period, I was a part of, in some small way or larger way, a part of three memorial service, a nine-year-old, a 50-plus-year-old, and a 94-year-old, my grandmother. And in, in the end of that two-month period, I have to tell you, I was emotionally spent. Because whether you're talking about a nine-year-old or you're talking about a 94-year-old, you're talking about losing someone, so to speak, as we talk about. We don't like to use the word death. We talk about losing or passing on. But the reality of it is death. And I'll say this, as we talk about death and we talk about one month to live, I promise you we are not trying to be morbid here. We are not trying to create some anxiety. We're trying to hopefully create, as we live between the trees, meaningful moments, not morbid living. We want our life to be as full and as meaningful and as complete as we can. In fact, I think it is the biblical way that God would have us to live. When God was speaking through the psalmist, he said this in Psalm 90 verse 12. He says, teach us to realize the brevity of life, the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. See, if we would realize that life has a beginning and life has an ending and it is really, really short, 
then we would literally, the Bible says, grow in wisdom. But the problem is, is that we live invincible. The problem is we live as if we'll never end. The problem, oh, we know we'll end. We know the realities out there. But the problem is we live as if we will never end. We make decisions as if tomorrow will go on forever and opportunities will always be there. And the reality is, is it is brief. It is fleeting, sometimes scarily fleeting before our eyes. We're going to have throughout, sprinkled through this series, different testimonials, some from our church, some from beyond our church, of people who've gone through this study themselves and what they've learned through it. I want you to hear the first one and how they dealt with the reality of their own mortality. I had been told by my doctors that I had uh, six weeks to live. So when I heard about the one month to live thing, you know, that it 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 was so personal to me. But the thing about it is that was so amazing about this is when the doctor told me that I had six to ten weeks to live, I had the most amazing, calm peace that came over me. And that is so unlike me. I feel like that God gave me the strength and the grace to accept that, you know, as, you know, that's my life. He had just received the notice that his cancer had returned. I thought, man, you know, this is, this is the 30 days to live. The feelings that I had first were of anxiousness and fear when he was told that he only had the six to ten weeks to live. He was so calm. He told me after the doctor went out that there was a peacefulness that just came over him. Our relationship has changed so much. It was good before this happened, but it's even better now. My wife and I have experienced a uh, very, very sweet relationship. We uh, focus on each other's needs. I think you have a tendency to, to listen to each other better. We've had a good marriage, but it's never been had the sweetness that we have now. I think it opens the eyes and uh, the thoughts of what people really need to do with that 30 days. Because I guess you think you're invincible and you can live forever, but we never know when when God's going to take us. And we need to treasure every bit. You think back over your two, the opportunities that you missed, that you let go. When you get to the situation like I'm in, you know, it's it's very easy to love God because you don't have any dis- distractions. And during your life, you know, you have your life to live. So there's a lot of things that distract you and that you don't think about God nearly as much as what, you know, what I do. I would say think about the things what God has done for you, you know, the good things, you know. When I pray, I pray, God, thank you for today. And if I get tomorrow, then I then thank God I have tomorrow. <laughs> because of all the things, you know, that has come about since then, that uh, I feel that God has given me the strength, the grace, or whatever you want to call it, to see the goodness of God and see the love of God. And then I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm really grateful for what God has done for me 
uh, for what I have gotten from the church, from the support that I have gotten from a small group that we have, I experience that love of God and in a way that I've never, I've never experienced it before. Now somebody quick-wittedly came to me and said, Mike, I'm not going to be able to finish this series. And, uh, and I said, well, why is that? He says, well, the book says I have one month to live, but it's a six-week series. Think about it. Okay, listen, we're not expecting mass death here uh, at the end of 30 days. You know, six weeks is longer than, 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 I, than I realize four weeks is. But the reality is, is that we want to raise an awareness in us. We want to raise up something in us that we will set maybe a new parameters, new goals, new priorities for our life with a new understanding of our own mortality. Again, the brevity of life, understanding that actually brings wisdom to our life. And so how can I increase my wisdom? One is understanding the brevity and the shortness of my own life. And so here's our goal through this series, this six-week series, if we all make it through the 30 days plus. And that is that we want your life to be f- as full as possible for as long as possible. We want, we want quality and quantity. Not just quantity and not just quality. We want quality and quantity when it's full as possible, as long as possible. There's probably, inarguably, the most influential person ever to live in your and my lifetime, and maybe for the entire 20th century, is Dr. Billy Graham. I mean, I'm I'm going to stick my neck out and say he has been the most influential person. Historians believe that he has preached the gospel to more people on the planet than anybody else ever, simply due to technology, if nothing else. And so this influential man and how he was influenced in his life, he wrote in his book, Facing Death. Read this book 20 years ago, pulled it back out recently for this series. And one of the first statements he makes is a letter that his father-in-law sent to him in the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, His father-in-law named uh, Dr. uh, Nelson uh, Bell said this. He says, only those who are prepared to die are really prepared to live. Only those who are prepared to die are really prepared prepared to live. I want you to hang on to that phrase because if we're really going to be ready for this life and enter into this life and go forward in this life and live between the trees, the only way, if this statement is true, is that we are ready to die. Are we in that that ready posture? Are you in a ready posture where you can live or die no matter what the case may be? Because Jesus Christ came to seek and to save. It made it very clear. He came to seek and to save those who were lost in John 19. And he spent his life in mad pursuit, in passionate pursuit to make sure you and I have life. In John 11, he talks about it there when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall, what? Live. See, he is about life. He came for life. He, he conquered death. He, he, he models it. Uh, and, and in John chapter 10, if you want to go there in your Bibles, uh, we'll be kind of all over the Scriptures today, but that's kind of our launching pad today. John chapter 10, verse 10 is where we'll be. And I want us to understand that not everybody that is between the trees, and I believe God is walking with us between the trees, but not everyone that walks with us between the trees 
It was about the same goal. Again, what did I say our goal was? Well, I believe it's what God's goal is, is that you will have the fullest life possible as long as possible. All right? So think about this. As you're living between the trees, isn't this the goal of everyone? To, to live as long as you can, as full as you can, as much as you can to the, to the hill? Is that not everybody's goal? Absolutely not. John chapter 10, verse 10, introduces into us an enemy. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And if he can destroy anything in your life, he will. Your marriage, your job, your future, your integrity, he will destroy it. If he can steal your innocence, he will steal it. There is not one little thing out of your life that he would not want to steal, kill, or destroy. But it states also in this very verse why Jesus came, because Jesus is speaking here. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, that you might have it fully, that you might have it completely. So even in the very purpose, if you will, purpose statement of Jesus, he says, I came for quality, quantity, I also came for quality. I came that you might have life. Well, that sounds ridiculous because I'm already living, right? No, he talks about, his really emphasis here is on this eternal life. The life that goes on beyond this tree. The life that goes on to where you're eating from the tree of life in this place called paradise that we read from a few moments ago. He wants us to not only have life, that's the quantity, but he also wants us to have the quality of life. That we should have that purposeful, full, abundant, overflowing kind of life. That's what he came for. I like the way the message says it. He says this, it says this, uh, uh, Peterson puts in a paraphrase, he says, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. All right? Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that if you go with Jesus, that you'll not have problems. I'll, matter of fact, I'll say your problems may at times be amplified. But the greatness of going with Christ and going in a relationship with him is that as you go with him, you're not going alone. That he is with you through it. You are not alone, even in the silence, even in the darkness, even in the despair. And this is what I hope we can do throughout the weeks together is grow in our understanding of having quality and quantity wrapped up together because that's the reason that Jesus came. Now, I want to tell you about a couple of opportunities for you. I want you to be personally engaging in this, okay? You're going to have to have a lot of buy-in to this series, okay? This is not where I come and I'm a jarhead. I open up my head and the facts go in. I'm going to have to truly engage my heart, evaluate my life, stop for a moment, arrest some things in my life, and really reprioritize. So think it through, work it through. The first question this week that we want you to think about is what would you do differently? What would you do differently if you only had 30 days to live? And then I want you to verbalize it, put it, thoughts disentangle themselves when they move from your lips to your fingertips. Write it out, journal it, type it out. Put it on, again, Twitter, if you will, and, and, and think about it, all right, in a very, very engaging kind of way. So that's one way. Another way that you is kind of continuing homework is I, I hope every one of you have a copy of One Month to Live, all right? It's in the back. 
we're selling to you totally at the cost of what it cost us, a $10 bill. All right? So you go back to the back, and you, if you haven't, it's by the Body Life table, pick one of these up. Now, Lori likes to write in her book, and her book's over here, and I like to write in my book, and my book's over, over there. And so we both have our own copies. And so if you want a copy and your spouse wants a copy, I think we should have plenty back there. Stop by there after the service. But number three, if you're going to, going to do this, one, engage the mind and be thinking through the questions that we're going to pose to you. But two, be sorting this out. And by, by the way, this starts tomorrow, all right? There's day one. You don't have, even have to do the math. It's, the chapters are literally divided into days. And they're simple truths that you'll take 10, 20, 30 minutes to think through, work through, sort through each and every day. So it's easy. Starts tomorrow. It, it, you can't miss out, all right? Number, number three, the third way you're going to be a part is through a body life group. We have like 36 groups or so from Fayetteville to, to Missouri, meaning any day of the week, any number of times during the week. I mean, there is a group for you. And the great thing about the group is it creates community so that you can engage in a conversation with other people who are hearing and thinking and processing through the same lesson, thinking, reading that you are going through. Now, here's the value in that is if you are a one-thinker individual, you might be on the wrong track. But if you get in a group of like-minded, caring individuals, they might challenge your thought, you might challenge their thought. And it might end up massaging into a full biblical understanding so that you can have not only a life, but a qualitative and quantitative kind of life. And so if you don't have a group, then see Eric in the back by the Body Life uh, table. That's all the commercials for today. All right, so here, here we go. I want us to jump into the message, and today's message is an overview of the next four messages. So you're just going to hopefully whet your appetite for what we're going to be studying because I want us to understand it. Through the filter of Jesus, all right? Not a bad person to look at when you're talking about living a life that is both full quality and quantity. And so when you think about the the life of Christ, you need to understand how he lived. And we're going to break down each one of these. Next week, we'll look at this first one, which Jesus lived passionately. All right, understand the way Jesus lived. He lived passionately. So between the trees, while Jesus walked the earth, while Jesus was on the planet, while Jesus was ministering, he did what he did with a very passionate part of him. Now he would, it didn't matter if you were a not or a nobody, the least of these, or if you were a rich young ruler. The message never changed. His approach might change. But the same, he didn't care who you were. He was passionately about what God had put him on this earth to do, which we've already read. He came to bring life. So he lived his life to bring life. Pretty simple, right? But I wonder how passionately we live out our lives in the same passionate way Jesus lived out his life. Think about your life. How passionate are you about Monday morning right now? How passionate are you about your family right now? What has God called you to? Because if you look at the life of Christ, He was passionate about it. First John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 says it like this. He has given us eternal life. He came to give life and He gives us eternal life. And this life is in who? Is in His Son. 
God sent His Son. His Son is Jesus. He came to give life, and His life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have have God's Son does not have life. Now, there is no ambiguity there. Life is found in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not just talking about life between the trees, because you can live 40, 50, 60 years. You can live 94 years like my grandmother. You can live 100 years and live in between the trees and not have life. The kind of life that Jesus wants us to have. The kind of life that goes beyond this life. The kind of life that has a paradise and a tree of life. The kind of life that keeps going on and on and on. That kind of relationship. Now, Jesus' life that he speaks of doesn't begin just there. We're not just talking about getting your fire insurance kind of experience. We're talking about living today and every day of my life full, again, quality and quantity all the way. And so I want us to think about it because I think there's a lot of people in this world that they live, but they don't have life. They have an existence. They have a pulse. When you drill down into them, it's shallow, it's empty, it's fleeting. Luke chapter 7, verse 31 and 32, I think is a pretty good metaphor that Jesus understood this. Because even in his time, he said, they are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. They played the flute for you. And you did not dance. We sang a dirge. And you did not weep. There are some people that there's music all around them. There's truth. There's Christ. There's Christians. There's, there's the gospel all around them. But there's not a dance. So again, don't, don't, don't ask yourself, do I have a pulse? Ask myself, do I have a life? If I, don't have, if I don't have this abundant, this overflowing, this eternal life that Christ offers, I'm really not living. I'm existing. It reminds me of a story. I remember the very first time I ever heard a message from John chapter 10, verse 10. I, this, this pastor, I don't remember his name. I don't even remember where it was. I think it was at church camp actually growing up. And I remember this story. And I remember going back and I can remember writing it down because I did not want to forget it. Now, whether it's truth or legend or what, I don't know. But I think it communicates how so many people live. The story is told of this, of this boy who was growing up during the time of the Depression. A poster was hung up at school that there was going to be a circus come to town. This boy had never gone to a circus. A couple of the kids in the class had gone to a circus, told him all about the circus. You've got to go to the circus. There's going to be clowns. There's going to be animals. There's going to be all this kind of stuff at the circus. You've got to go. So he goes home and he tells his mom and dad, I want 25 cents so that I can go to the circus. 25 cents is what it costs to get in to the circus. He said, I want 25 cents to go to the circus. His parents said, well, that's kind of expensive. I don't know that we can let you just have 25 cents. I'll tell you what, if you want to take the next five days, we'll give you five cents a day. If you will work a little extra, do your chores a little bit more diligently, we will give you five cents. You can save it up, and by the end of the week, you'll have 25 cents so you can go to the circus. So the boy went to town. He got up early. He, he, he worked as hard as he could on his homework. He, he did all he could to get ready to save his nickels, literally, so that he could go to the circus. And so Friday comes and his parents reach into their pocket. They give him a nickel. The boy shoots up to Main Street, runs up to Main Street, 
endlessly, sets down on the curb because before the circus, there was going to be a parade. Now, again, mind you, he's never been to a parade. He's never been to a circus. This is like, this is a, a kid in a candy store kind of experience for him. He sets down on the curb right there, waits for an hour before the, before the parade ever comes through, and he waits, and then all of a sudden the band is playing and the sirens are going and the animals start marching and the clowns start coming. It's this exciting moment, the euphoria in town. And at the very end of the parade, were clowns and they were going up giving little kids candy and balloons and, and different things as they, as they were, were parading through the streets. And whenever they reached this little boy, at the end of the parade, he's always the end, it was the most exciting moment, the grand finale, if you will. He reaches up with his quarter and he hands the quarter to the clown as he gets his balloon. And he turns around and he runs back home telling his parents all about the circus he went to. See, he never experienced the big top. He never saw the trapeze. He missed it because he settled for a parade instead of going to the circus. And so many people today, they don't have life. They have an existence. And there's a world of difference. Jesus came that you might not only have quality, quantity, that you might have quality. Not that you'll have life, but that your life would go on and on and you would value each and every moment of it. Jesus lived passionately. Jesus also learned this. He loved completely. He loved completely. Even in the last days of Jesus' life, you find in John 13, verse 1, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, maybe it was his 30 days were up, He knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. He went to the Mediterranean Sea. He he, he sipped coconut juice and he just hung out and lived out the last 30 days of his life. No. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, Jesus' greatest joy and fulfillment in his life that he lived when he was living between the trees, was not self-serving, but was giving love. Even when he knew it was at the end, he didn't turn inwardly, he didn't become about me, he didn't become self-seeking, he loved his own to the very end. Even when they were betraying him, even when they were, when they were, even when they were denying him, he loved his own to the end. I wonder sometimes, do we give up on love? Love never fails. Love is patient. Love is kind. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Broaden our understanding of love. And I hope in a couple of weeks that we will broaden our understanding of love. We will deepen our understanding of love. We will lengthen how far our love will go. We will love the people that God has put in our world, not just in our life, not just around us, not those that we're supposed to love, that we will truly know how to love completely those around us. Because when you look at the life of Christ and he was summing everything up with his disciples, he said, listen, guys, gals, the most important thing on this planet is that you know how to love God and that you know how to love people. 
He said it when he, when he gave the, the greatest commandment in Matthew 22. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, he gives us the object of what we are to love. First and foremost, love God. Secondly, love people. Love God, love people. Sometimes we tolerate God and we hate people. See, if we truly, 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 truly are living out the faith, we're truly, truly living a full and meaningful life, we're truly, truly living the quality and the quality that we should be living. It's learning to love God. How? He gives us even the measurement for our love. Love Him with your heart. Love Him with your soul. Love Him with your mind. He tells us how to love our neighbors. He says, love your neighbor just like you love yourself. Love your neighbor just like you love yourself. You got shingles coming off your roof? What are you going to do? You're going to take care of You're going to love yourself. You're going to take care of those shingles. What about your neighbor? What about them? Your kids have clothes and food. That's good. You should do that. You love them. But what about your neighbor's kids? See, we're going, to have a, we're going to have a Sunday in a few weeks, or Saturday in a few weeks, a Hope and Action Day, where we're just going to put some, some opportunities for us to go in, into our community and to love our community. And just to hopefully set a tone and a spirit uh, about our own hearts, that we would love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Start with our family. Loving our family, even in the simplest way. Start with God. Loving God in a very deep, deep way. Kerry Shook, when he wrote this book, a pastor of a church in, in Houston, began to transform his own church. I want you to watch another video. I decided to, to take a moment and, and think of the things that I do now and the things that I would like to do different. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go surprise my son at school for lunch. Uh, so I stopped, picked up a couple of Happy Meals. He had no idea I was coming. And for a dad for, to do this for an eight-year-old son, I was thinking, this is going to be fun. This is going to be something that yeah, I'll get a kick out of. And so I go into the lunchroom. I, I checked in the front office, go into the lunchroom. And as I rounded the corner, he had his back to me where he couldn't see me. And his friends were kind of looking and pointing. Well, he turned around, and his face just, uh, it just lit up. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a vision that, that I'll never forget. I mean, it, just the... the the sight of of his face, I mean, is implanted in my heart and my brain forever. When he lined up with his class to go back to to his uh, to his room, I decided, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk back to the room with him just to say goodbye and everything. Usually, uh, when I drop him off or walk him in the class, he's like, oh, there's Dad. See you later, Dad. And but this was different. Um, we started walking down the hallway, and I'm just walking along, and he reaches over and grabs my hand, and. Uh, it's it's a feeling that you can't you can't really it's hard to put into words without getting emotional uh, for for someone like me to have him just reach and grab my hand and walk with me all the way to class holding hands together that was it was an experience that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. The one month to live challenge has also um, is strengthened my relationship with my wife. Uh, coming home from work or whatever it may be, we've always greet each other with a kiss and a hello and how was your day and something simple, more of a small talk. Um, but now it, we take the time to listen to each other and to, to focus on what the other person needs and what, what is important to them. And as far as something simple as just walking around the block, just, uh, just her and I, my mother and father were divorced when I was really young. 
And I blamed him for not being a dad and not having a relationship. I see him every day at work, but we just don't have a father-son type relationship. But, you know, after uh, Pastor Kerry's uh, challenge, I decided, you know, it's not, I'm waiting on him to be a dad, but I'm also not being a son. It's given me no regrets because I don't have to sit and blame. I don't have to point fingers anymore. I've taken the steps to be a son, which is has helped him be a, a better father in our relationships. Um, our relationship between each other has just, it's grown. We go to lunch together now. We laugh. We talk. We talk on the telephone outside of work. And we never did that in the past for so many years. And I just, I realized how much I missed that. The One Month to Live Challenge by Pastor Kerry, it, it helped me to take the initiative instead of instead of waiting because I don't, you don't know how much time you have, so why sit and wait? I wanted to focus on how I treat others and do it immediately because what I'm leaving behind is my legacy. And if I don't work on that, then who's going to work on it? I hope at the end of this series that there will be many examples in your life, my life, of where we have learned to love somebody completely that we have shunned or put out of our life in a real way. Number three, Jesus learned humbly. When you're God and and you think about God being Jesus and Jesus being God, how did he learn? Well, that may be a stretch in that phrase. Hopefully we will learn humbly, but Jesus did model humility. Humility is, is is not stepping down from who you are. Jesus never stepped down from being God. You've got to understand this. But it is ignoring the rights or giving up or yielding the rights that you have to who you are, just as Jesus yielded the rights to who he was as God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following, uh, is, uh, is a most powerful passage of Scripture that speaks to the humility of Christ. And I just want to go to the last verse there. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself, being becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Christ's act of dying on the cross was that act of humility, for you and for me. He didn't have to. He chose to. He put himself, he put aside his rights, his authority, his power. He put all that aside to serve you and me. So if we could live in this world a little bit more humble, what difference would that make? What does that look like? I want to give you just four statements real quickly. You jot them down of what it means to live humbly with God or for God. Number one, learn to give God the first part of every week. Now, you're here today, and this is the first day of, every, this is the first day of the week, so you're, you're on to a good start. This is your first 30 days, and so here you are. Great. Make it a lifestyle. It's not golf, boat, or church, or shopping, or whatever. Make this day so special that even if you're traveling in a way, you pull your family together, you go to a place of worship, or you gather together to pray and to seek God's face as a family. Keep the first day as the launching to every week in God's presence with Him. Also, give God the first part of every day. Pretty simple. Give Him the first Given the first part of every week, given the first part of every day. That's why we're challenging you. We're giving you 30 days right here of continuous study, one principle a day, one unique thought that you're going to take with you. It's going to have Scripture intermingled with it. You take it home. And then after you go beyond this, then take the Word of God and continue in it. Also, I want to challenge you to give God the first portion of every dollar. 
Whatever God has blessed you with, just make that a practice. Don't even make it a debate. Don't, don't talk Old Testament covenant, New Testament. Listen, before the Old Testament covenant was ever established, the tithe was in practice. Just make it a practice. Don't rob God, Malachi. As Malachi talks about, get in there and practice that. Only 4% of Christians do this. It's a true tragedy to the Christian faith, to your own life. Again, quality and quality of life. Number three, number four, excuse me, is give God the first consideration in every decision of your life. Give Him the first consideration in every decision. Walk humbly with Him. Humble yourself under Him and He will exalt you. First Peter 5, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. James 4 says, lastly, and I'm finished, Jesus left boldly. Okay? I hope when you leave this world, when your second tree comes, I hope you can leave boldly. And the way you're going to leave boldly is that you live boldly now. All right? So if you look at Christ, he lived out his life in a beautiful, powerful way. I want you to understand the same. Jesus lived his life to the highest and the, or to the greatest and the highest eternal good. Just, just hang on to that statement. He lived his life to the greatest and the highest eternal good. How are you living your life? I don't care if you sell for Walmart, sell to Walmart, or, 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 or you, you serve in the community in some capacity, or you're a, in the pol- you're a politician, you're a teacher, or you're a student. Your life to the greatest and the highest eternal good. How are you living it? Jesus Christ lived on this earth, taught people, healed sick, spit in people's eyes, and they, were, they could see again. He raised dead people back to life again. He could have at the end of his life, before he was ever crucified, he could have said, you know what, I was a good guy. I've done a good work. I've lived a good life. And he would have, and he would have been marked in history as one of the greatest people ever to live. Mysterious even at that. But Jesus Christ didn't. He lived beyond that. He lived boldly, confidently for him, for God. When the days drew near, it says in Luke 9, 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. Now what Jesus was doing at that very moment is he knew his days were numbered. He knew his life was coming to an end. He knew it was time to go and die on the cross. And he lived that way. He lived his life. He didn't shirk from it. When he went to the cross, he carried his own cross, the cross that was for you and me. When he died, he died, and he didn't stop until he says, it is finished. He finished what he came to do. Even Paul said in his own life, I have ran the race. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. What God has called me to, I'm going to go out of this world knowing that I have lived it to the greatest and the highest good. I want my life to count for quality and quantity. But I know some of us are asleep. I hope that we would be awakened. I would hope that God would awaken you as He is awakening me. What would you do if you only had 30 days to live? 